This is episode 261 for November 2013. Now, the reason I picked a little country and western intro for this episode is because in this show, we're going to tackle a bio of a character called Lonesome Pinky. Evidently, back in the early 80s, he tormented Peter Parker in his apartment with his horrible country and western singing. I also found, in addition to that uh, harmonica solo you just heard, I heard a killer uh, harmonica take on the Spider-Man theme, so let me play a little bit of it for you right now. Time for Spider History, Jr. We're going back to 1989 of November. We had, what, three amazing Spider-Man titles come out this month, issues come out this month. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. And it was uh, was half of a six-issue story called... Who gives a crap? Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, go ahead and set it up for us. It's uh, Amazing Spider-Man 323 came out, 324 came out, and 325 came out, if I'm correct. Uh, Assault Rivals, written by David Michelinie and Todd McFarlane. We also had 324 was called Two Days by David Michelinie and the first Eric Larson we've seen. And 325 wrapped the whole thing up with a bow called Finale in Red, uh, David Michelinie and also Todd McFarlane. Take me from there, Jr. Well, I remember some time ago when you offered me uh, some chances, some uh, choices for Spider history, and one of them yeah. was a couple of Michelinie issues in the uh, the issue 290 something range. And as I was going through the choices, I read those issues, and I was like. God, this is so dreadfully dull. I can't even make fun of this. It's boring. So I skipped it. I decided to go to another year. Uh, I should have done that again this year Uh, because this this like this is uh, part this is uh, oh part four or at least three twenty three or three twenty three is of something called the assassination plot. You know, which is two words: assassination. So. You know, it's already you think, oh boy, Spider-Man in uh, Spider-Man in a story of international intrigue. Oh, be still my uh, my heart. I can't wait to read this one. Um, <laughs> and really, it is six issues of Who Gives a Crap because yeah. it is. It's there's there's like a whole bunch of red herrings. Uh, Paladin's in it. Solo's in it. Captain America's in it. Silver Saint's in it. Sabretooth is in it. Uh, it starts out by. by you know, silver, silver sable, thinking, oh boy, there's this big conspiracy to assassinate the king of Smumkaria or whatever, <laughs> and, and you know, and it appears the Life Foundation is involved. The Life Foundation, of course, is a group of nut jobs who are trying to sell survivalist condos, and you know, they 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 were also the subject of uh, the first story arc of, well, I mean, of the miniseries Venom, the Lethal Protector. So you know what great baddies these guys are. But anyway. <laughs> They turn out to be a red herring, and then the attempt to kill the king of Smukaria turns out to be a red herring because the real target apparently is the prime minister of Smukaria, who's killed by <laughs> Sabretooth. And Sabretooth has left some evidence that makes it look like the CIA is behind it. The, the, you know, and so now the CIA, the, uh, it looks like America and Smukaria are going to go to war, and that's this is all, uh, this is all figured out and solved, or whatever. Since 
Smincari is going to send death squads to the U.S. to kill American mm. officials, and you know it's like what? What? You know, it's like this is like worrying about you know Lithuania invading the country or something, you know, uh, yeah. or North Korea, you know, like in Red Dawn. Ooh, the North Koreans are coming. Uh, so, but then it turns out that that's really all a cover for uh, the the Red. Well, anyway, it's all a cover for now someone's trying to blow up the National Archives and blow up the Constitution and Declaration of Independence, and they're going to blame Smukaria on it, you know. So, And it turns out the mastermind is the Red Skull! Oh! You, know? you killed my father, my mother. Yeah. yeah, Electro's father. Oh, wait a minute, no. Oh, wait a minute, is this the real Red Skull or the Red Skull back from uh, who <laughs> in, the, in the Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number no. 5, which we reference? during Spider Jeopardy, which actually, I guess, years later turned out to be a fake Red Skull, uh, but, but whatever. And so, but, but anyway, Spider-Man foils the plot. Smimkaria and the USA don't go to war, you know, and it's like, and it's like, why the hell did I read this? Yeah, I, re- I remember reading it and being disappointed, but I loved how beautiful the artwork was back in 1989. Or did you not even like the artwork back in 1989? Well, again, like I said, these were McFarlane yeah. issues, and I hated going back to the back issue band to buy McFarlane issues because people had bit them up so yeah. You know, yeah. no, I mean, I fell asleep before I could enjoy the artwork. You know, right. so, no. Also, it looks like all the Spider Satellites had multiple issues this month. Let's go to Spec Spider-Man number 156 and 157 that came out this month. Uh, the first one is uh, called The Search for Robbie Robertson, written by Jerry Conway, art by Sal Buscema. has a very ugly-looking person named Banjo on the cover, J.R. Looks like he's in a Deliverance sequel. Yeah, Deliverance meets The Hills Have Eyes. Um, yeah. Starring Spider-Man. Yeah, or this uh, the story could also be called Jerry Conway doesn't like nuclear power. Uh, <laughs> I mean, when you just look at the cut, co- you look at the cover yeah. and you go, "Oh boy, this is probably going to play into every single stereotype about people who live in the Appalachians." You know, and oh, and guess what? It's told by a guy who probably really understands people who live in America's heartland, somebody who was born in Brooklyn and now lives in Los Angeles. So, you know, you're really going to get some good cultural insight on the people of this greatly impoverished region. Yeah, right. Um, (laughs) So anyway, this was this story was set up because one of the most incredibly stupid subplots in Spectacular Spider-Man was, this was kind of rolls into the introduction of Tombstone. Anyway, yeah. 20 years ago or 30 years ago or whatever, Tombstone, who was a childhood friend or enemy or something of uh, Robbie Robertson, uh, killed a mob informant. And Robbie didn't report it because he was afraid Tombstone would kill his family. You know? Okay. 20 years later now, you know, Robbie decides to turn, you know, to admit it, and he's put on trial, and he goes to jail. He's found guilty and goes to jail. Utterly stupid. Nobody would convict him for this. Utterly stupid. And he wouldn't go to jail because there's an appeals process. Nobody goes to jails without appeals process. Plus, Jonah's, Jonah's helping him, I think Jonah's helping him with his attorney, and rich people don't, you know, rich people hire attorneys who don't like to lose. So the whole <laughs> premise is stupid. Anyway, Robbie goes to jail. 
And later there's a yeah. prison break, which is organized by, we find out later, the chameleon and uh, Hammerhead to get Tombstone out of jail. There's a prison break, and Tombstone Tombstone has this weird ass. You know, I don't know if it's a smoldering gay thing or something for Robbie, but it's just weird, you know. And... and um, so anyway, he grab he he ta- he breaks out of jail and he takes Robbie with him, and they both fall out of a helicopter, you know, down in the Appalachians. So Spider-Man goes and looks for him. So Spider-Man's web swinging in the Appalachians, okay, you know, looking for Robbie. <laughs> Just a visual of that's funny. Yeah, I mean, it's like what in the hell is this what I've been latching onto in the Appalachians, you know? Yeah. But anyway, so he sees this big dark form and he says, "Oh, there's a big dark form, you know? Maybe they've seen Robbie. I'll go follow it." So anyway, so he follows it, and it leads Robbie to a camp comprised of every Appalachian stereotype. You know, everybody has bug eyes, vacant stares, and rotten teeth. You know, they're either they're either someone's idea of you know Appalachians or people who live in the Appalachians or meth heads. You know, and then and then Spider Man is confronted by the person he followed, which is an eight foot tall mutant by the name of Banjo. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, there we go, a deliverance setup. You know, with a character yeah. by the name of Banjo. There we go. This is really clever. <laughs> uh, oh, and and the way you know. And, I remember when I was making fun of I made fun of Bill Mantlow uh several uh some podcast ago because I, you know, made fun of his ability to get, you know, the, the, the dialogue and the speak of African Americans down, you know. Right. Well Gary Jerry Conway's really got this Appalachian speak down because <clears throat> here's what Banjo says. Oh, no. oh hey pumpkin bread. Thanks, Spencer. Boy, I I got pumpkin Hey Spencer, say hi. Okay, thank you. Um, Spencer brought me pumpkin bread. Uh, I thought, I thought yeah, banjo was like I was thinking that was the quote. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ooh, pumpkin bread. I was like, that's a stereotype I haven't heard before. Me neither. No, Spencer's his kid's name. <laughs> I was also thinking Spencer's voice got deep since the last time you had him on. Yeah, yeah. I thought the same. Spencer's married and had kids by now. We had a. Oh, <laughs> Anyway, anyway, well, I was thinking the pot, there was a podcast some time ago that I got intoxicated on cake, and so I'm thinking, hey, pumpkin bread, I'm really on a roll now. I'll really, really go for it now. But anyway, so Banjo, he, he starts out by he says, he says you, but of course he says it Appalachian, so it's spelled Y-E-W, you, okay? You, he tells Spider-Man, you follow Banjo. You want to hurt. Banjo hurt you first. Okay. Anyway, Oof. Spider-Man, you know, starts fighting Banjo and is like, holy crap, Banjo's pretty strong and I really don't want to fight this guy. I got no grudge against this guy. So he's trying to avoid a fight when then he is knocked unconscious by a bunch of bubbles. And, what? and these bubbles, <laughs> what? These bubbles, they're mind bubbles, Okay. Oh. From a mutant redneck called Bug Eye, because he's a little dude with eyes that bug out, and it turns out he's Banjo's brother. Okay, now Bug Eye says, "Don't you?" But this is the Appalachians, so he says, "Don't chew, C H E W. Don't chew, worry Banjo. I won't let him hurt chew. My bubbles stopped him." Okay. And then, you know, Spider-Man oh. knocked unconscious by these bubbles, and then Mama gets into the act. You know, and Mama says, if he moves one little bitty finger, kill him. So, 
this is epic. Oh, no. Okay, so we have several interludes for subplots. Okay, we got several subplots going here. Okay, one is a painting party. Uh, as Mary Jane and Peter's friends are painting their new Soho apartment, which, of course, you know, they're sponging off Harry and Liz. Uh, and, of course, we talk, not too long ago, we talked about the issue where actually Liz throws them out of the Soho apartment that they've been sponging off. So, anyway, and everything comes full circle. So, Flash tries to, want to, tr- Flash tries to flirt with one of Her- Mary Jane's model friends who cuts him down hard, and Liz feels sorry for poor Flash. You know, and she says, my life worked out so well with Harry and little Norman, while nothing goes right for poor Flash. Yeah, your life worked out so well with Harry and little Norman. You just hold on to that thought, Lizzie, okay? And we'll revisit it in a few years. Anyway, we then see the black cat lurking around with a smile on her face. Okay, now all Spidey fans know that this means that Felicia was going to start dating Flash because she thought that she would, by dating Flash, she would get back at Peter, who broke up with her. But it turns out she starts falling in love with Flash for real and doesn't want Flash to know that she's a black cat. But ha-ha, Flash knew she was a black cat all the time, which, by the way, was a question that was I successfully answered um, during the uh, Spider-Man Jeopardy earlier. But anyway, so that's the beginning of her, her plot. That's percolating. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now, we also learned that J. Jonah Jameson has lost control of the Daily Bugle due to some corporate raider. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Thomas Fireheart, known as Puma, who's one of those guys who can smell Spider-Man, uh, you know, Spider, see, Puma, uh, Sabretooth, um, Craven. Is there anybody else who can smell Spider-Man? Because these guys all smell Spider-Man. That's how they know where Spider-Man is. Cause just, just Wolverine. I, I, Wolverine, I, thank you. Wolverine smells. Yeah, well, Wolverine. Yeah. Symbiotes too, right? What's that? Not symbiotes. Symbiotes. I don't know. I don't think they smell him. I think they just sense him or whatever. But anyway, these people really, yeah. these other people, they smell him. Anyway, yeah. so Puma walks in and says, as of 30 minutes ago, I am now the new owner of the Daily Bugle. All right, another subplot. The third subplot is Mary Jane's cousin, Christy, who has an oh. eating disorder. She had a heart attack, and now she's in group therapy uh, trying to overcome her eating disorder. All right, well, now I was like, Jesus Christ, get off these subplots. We want to know what's going on. Let's go back to the Appalachians. Yeah. know what's going on with Banjo and Bug Eye. And, yeah, <laughs> and Mama and Ma. Okay, first of all, yeah. <laughs> Ma was Man. pregnant widow tending garden outside of Three Mile Island. Do I need to go any further? <laughs> oh boy, don't know. And literally, there is a panel where this this skinny woman is is hoeing a garden, and Three Mile Island is in the background. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. So anyway, anyway. What happened was, then she had Banjo, you know, and she had Bug Eye, and evil government men. And they're not government men, they're government, G-O-V apostrophe M-E-N-T, government men, hunting Banjo like he was some kind of critter. And then the government men tried to take Banjo and Bug Eye away. So, Maul moved to the Appalachians to be with her people. But now she thinks that Spider-Man is one of those government men, so she's going to send him out into the woods with Banjo after him so he knows what it's like to be hunted. Okay. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God, this is such a horrible issue. I've ne- I, I must have just deleted this out of my brain, <laughs> It really man. makes me appreciate the crap out of Dan Slott. <laughs> no doubt. Dan Slott's not doing chew. And no, I want to kiss Dan Slott's pens after this. Oh, man, this is bad. Yeah, compared to Jerry Conway, Dan Slott really holds up. That skinhead Nazis coming up later. Oh, no. By Jerry Conway, well, the writer with a conscience. But anyway... Well, anyway, so Banjo goes hunting Spider-Man because he's going to kill Spider-Man. Well, Banjo about to find 
uh, steps and is falling down an abandoned mine shaft. Spider-Man saves him, takes Banjo back to you know his people, and everybody makes up. Oh, you know that that was really you know really swell. Spider-Man, you saved Banjo, and and everything's all well and good. And uh, uh, Spider-Man says, Yeah, I just the the reason I got into this mess and came you know came to see you toothless brainless people is uh, because did you see like you know did you see like some black dude and some big tall albino dude like walking around. Uh, you know, because those people would, those kind of guys probably would stand out in the Appalachians. Uh, and he was like, uh, no, we haven't. Okay, bye. Okay, I'm out. And, yeah. <laughs> and we end it there, huh? And then, well, and then the last page is Robbie washing up on shore with a broken leg and an Amish farmer finding him and the Tombstone asking, is he going to be all right? And the Amish guy says, well, I'm a vet, not a doctor, but he'll be okay. And Tombstone says, well, good, because Robbie is my good friend. And to be continued. Man. And the next issue that also came out in November was Amazing or Spectacular Spider-Man 157, uh, written by again Jerry Conway, art by Salby Sima, called The Shakedown. It's got Electro on the cover with the uh, pointing Electro uh, thought bubble. He's back. Him too. A man is in shade. He's shaded out. You can't t- tell who's in the background. Yeah, and you don't have a clue when it says together they treat Spidey to Electro Shock Therapy. No clue there. <laughs> Shocker, huh? I didn't say that. What told you? <laughs> Who told Electro you that? Who showed you that? Who spo- spoilers? Sorry, sorry. Twenty-year-old spoilers. <laughs> Go ahead, Jr. This get better, I hope. Uh, well, at least we don't have meth-headed Appalachians. Uh, but uh, anyway, issue number one has. Has Banjo ever been seen again, by the way? That's a question for the listeners. If Banjo has appeared in the Marvel Universe somewhere in a back panel, I would love to see it. He had his own miniseries. Um, oh, shut up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he had his own minis in the, in, around the Howard Mackey run. Jo- yeah, Josh, Banjo would have been a very good obscure question for Spider Jeopardy. <laughs> Thank you you know, it, 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 I, I just, you know, I, I mean... I have, uh, I mean, I have been, well, I grew up near Kentucky, so I know what the, uh, uh, well, I'm not going to go there, uh, but I understand that in the Appalachians is an extremely impoverished area of people who are probably relatively, un, you know, uneducated and some other things. I don't want to make any more assumptions, certainly not any more than Mr. Conway did, um, but th- this is just awful. I mean, awful, you know, and and if you go to Jerry Conway's Wikipedia site or whatever, uh, I guess they quote him in an interview about how he's a second generation uh, immigrant and his father, you know, faced a lot of discrimination or whatever. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, Jerry, you learned, yeah, you learned your family's lesson well, because then you describe, you stereotype an entire group of people based upon, you know, your own ignorance and prejudice. So uh, (laughs) really, really good, really good there. Um, oh, I forgot the Jerry Conway hates nuclear power thing because, uh, let's see, what was it? Oh, yeah, because, you know, we're going down the stream uh, in the, the Susquehanna River, uh, curving through southern Pennsylvania, past hills and towns and abandoned power plants, deadly monuments to folly. So there we go. That's mm. Jerry Conway hates nuclear power. Anyway, back to 157. Uh, yeah, electro Yes, Yes, trying to rob a bank. All right. But someone beat him to it. All right? And it happens again. Okay. And it turns out it's a shocker. Electro and the shocker fight. 
uh, Electro knocks out the Shocker. The Shocker be, uh, uh, wears down Electro. Spider-Man shows up, knocks out Electro, and that's pretty well your super villain fight for the day. But we have this interesting subplot of Robbie and Tombstone on an Amish farm. You didn't spend most our lives living in an Amish paradise. Uh, so I wish Spider-Man would go to the Amish farm in this one. Does he go there? No, he does. Uh, oh, but uh, no, because you know, anyway, Robbie is riding in a horse in a carriage, riding you know, with with the Amish far Amish Amish vet or a farmer vet slash whatever. Yeah, we'll call him uh, Herschel. He's saying, you know, I thought Harrison Ford would be here. You know, oh, like yeah. where, where's Harrison Ford? Where's Kelly McGillis? I thought something would be, you know. Anyway, um, nobody. <laughs> anyway, uh, sure, witness, nineteen eighties, witness. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so. Tombstone makes some vague threats, you know, about, you know, basically, uh, you know, Robbie, if you tell anybody what's really going on between you and me, I'm going to kill this nice little Amish farmer slash vet and his family. And then eventually they get tired of, uh, you know, messing with each other and they decide to have their final battle, you know, Robbie and, uh, and Tombstone. Anyway, so Robbie stabs Tombstone with a pitchfork. And Tombstone, Tombstone goes away crying. Says Robbie, I thought we were friends. Really, that's what happens. <laughs> I, and it's like, what the hell is this? I mean, this is. Yeah. I don't. I see. I never got this this relationship. I just never. Maybe got he is gay for Robbie. What's that? Maybe he is gay for Robbie. Like, like that could be a legitimate thing. I just, I never got the thing. I mean, there is. Uh, never got it. Anyway. Uh, but, you know, of course, Tombstone later turned out to be a patsy who could be beaten off panel, right, Bertoni? <laughs> oh, I, I, I was actually about to mention that, but then I thought, no, 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 too self-indulgent. Let me let J.R. Evers moment, but yeah. <laughs> yeah well, I was going to be I was gonna be like, oh, so so Robbie did it on the page. He didn't do it off panel and leave him tied up. Cool, cool. <laughs> no, he stabbed him with a pitchfork, and Tombstone walks away crying. Uh, and then Robbie says, oh, by the, you know, he, this, Robbie decides to go back to civilization uh, yeah. and take his lumps. And, in, and meanwhile, the last page is Tombstone showing up in the office of the chameleon and Hammerhead. Uh, and they're saying, uh, yeah, it was a good thing we broke you out of prison, Tombstone. Oh, holy shit, what happened to you? You know, you get, <laughs> did somebody stab you with a pitchfork on an Amish farm? And he said, yeah, but that's not important right now. Uh, wow, and uh, crazy. To be continued. All right, we've got also two issues of Web. Man, were they putting out a lot of issues this month, uh, November of 1989. This one is written by oh my Jerry Conway and Alex Savick. Sleep? <laughs> I guess not. This one's called Skin Deep. Uh, Rocket Racer is on the cover. It Gosh. says he's back and just in time for a student student riot. And the skinheads are fighting at, uh, looks like a campus. Take me there, J.R. First appearance of Skinhead. This is, this is, this is. Yeah, I, I think this is probably going to be about the last appearance of Skinhead, too. But anyway, uh, of course, you know Jerry Conway, liberal with a social conscience, so he's going to try to, he's going to do a typical ham-fisted uh, thing against racial prejudice. Um, <laughs> we'll get back to that later on. <laughs> so anyway, so anyway, Peter is in the lab at ESU working on experimental web fluid, uh, which is he's having trouble with because it's highly. This particular batch is highly corrosive, you know. Which I mention that because there will be an ironic plot twist later. Uh, and thank Copyright you. Copyright Chris. Chris Linus. Yeah. 
So anyway, so so Peter's saying, "Egg, hey, holy crap! I better put this. I better put this corrosive webbing in a jar, which no one will ever find." Uh, and holy cow! I hear something. I look out the window. Oh, gee whiz! There's a bunch of skinheaded Nazis burning a cross on ESU's law on the the yard at ESU. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I'm thinking cross burning. Uh, I don't even want to go there. Anyway. Uh, so so <laughs> I I can't even I, I don't even want to read what the I'm not even gonna read what the lead skinhead whose name is Eddie, by the way. Um uh, because I'm gonna get I would get tired of saying lead skinhead after a while, so I just say Eddie. Anyway, his name is Eddie Cross, by the way. Uh, Eddie Cross. <laughs> not Eddie D'Angelini. I don't even want to say the the things he says because I, you know, I kind of know how racists talk, but I'm not even so sure they're they're this bad. But anyway, so wow. So go back to your back issue books to read that yeah. Web Fifty Six, man. Yeah, I, I, I'll just I'll just I'll just use uh, I'll just use one. What do you people major in? The art of spitting watermelon seeds. Oh, that's in a book. <laughs> that's in a book. That's in a book. In 1989, that's in a book. Oh, that's all. They're racist skinheads. What do you expect? Skinheaded Nazis, what do you think? Oh, and Eddie has a swastika tattoo on his face, which we'll figure, which again, will will, will show up in an ironic plot twist. Anyway, so Spider-Man says, ah, you know, pretty well like Dan Aykroyd, you know, I hate Illinois Nazis. Uh, (laughs) But... uh, so as he says, I'm gonna go kick these bald guys' asses, and then the rocket racer shows up, and the rocket racer is mad. Anybody yeah. know why the rocket racer would be mad at a bunch he's of Afri- he's African American, yes. <laughs> so anyway, he you know, so he wants to really, you know, terminate these guys and so Spider Man grabs a racer and says, you know, you don't really want to do it, you know, you don't want to, you'll get in more trouble, you know, because of the way the laws are rigged in this country, you'll get in more trouble than these guys will, so I better spirit you away. Uh, so, anyway, the lead skinhead, Eddie, thinks that by Spider-Man spinning the uh, spiriting the rocket racer away, that Spider-Man is a white dude under the mask. Uh, anyway, the police come and erase the, the skinheaded Nazis, and uh, rocket racer flashbacks to an incident where uh, they beat him up in front of his um, mom and sister. So that's why he wanted to settle the score. Okay, well, you know, more subplots with their uh, subplot with Mary Jane, you know, uh, deciding that she's going to go audition for a soap opera. Uh, another soap subplot with Nathan Lebinsky, uh, you know, finding out that he's got, you know, a serious heart problem or he's going to die or something. I forget. Uh, and then, uh, oh, and by the way, we also learn in this issue that Mary Jane snores in bed. Uh, so <laughs> I knew it. Like, <laughs> Really, I, wait, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, Kevin. Yeah, Kevin. Uh, it's all that smoking. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so guess oh, what? Now, Peter Parker goes yeah. back to ESU the next day. Oh, and guess what? The bald Nazi skinheads are back. Uh, the rocket racer and his civilian identity is back, getting real mad. Uh, so then uh, Spider-Man and the rocket racer later try to have another powwow, and then a building blows up. I think it's the African-American center or something. The racist skinheads have blown it up, um, and both the rocket racer and Spider-Man chase after Eddie, uh, and Eddie winds up going to a lab where, guess what he finds? Peter Parker's experimental corrosive webbing. And he lifts Ah. it up. He's about to throw it. The rocket racer zaps it with one of his little rockets because that is why they call him the rocket.
rocket racer, uh, <laughs> and the the the, the 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 glass jar explodes, and all this corrosive webbing falls on Eddie, and you know, it, yeah. the rocket racer runs away, and then Spider Man runs after the rocket racer, uh, and then. Uh, then he goes back and oh my gosh, you know Eddie's gone. And then Eddie goes back and shows up at his, uh, you know, his old uh, skinheaded buddies, and he's all he looks like a uh, he looks like a de-skinned molten man or something like that, you know. Yeah. And uh, he says Eddie is dead, but from his moribund flesh, a new you learn a new word, kiddies, moribund. Uh, moribund flesh, a new avenging spirit was born, skinhead, the White Redeemer. <laughs> oh. Good Lord. And, Good Lord. Anyway, okay, okay. <laughs> and that breathlessly leads us to issue 57. <laughs> and that one uh, has a cover <laughs> uh, where it looks like the blob is going after <laughs> and Spider-Man, and he has a swastika on his little blob, uh, and there's a mother and a, a little kid looking out the window going, oh, my. Anyway, uh, this is one, again, Jerry Conway, Alex Savick, go. <laughs> anyway... It turns out that uh, well uh, that uh, Eddie the uh, skinhead the white redeemer uh, has he he said at the very end of the issue that he hungered well now we know what that means because now he has turned into a big blob and he eats all his bald skinheaded Nazi cronies. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we get a couple of pages of exposition about how you know he he turned into that blob that eats not Nazi skinhead crone you know, and uh, then we go to the subplot of Mary Jane and Peter moving into their Soho apartment cousin Christie showing up you know uh, and fainting because she escaped from her uh, eating disorder therapy group. Mary Jane takes her back to the hospital. Uh, Rocket Racer decides to research uh, Eddie Cross because he's starting to feel sorry for him for some reason. He wants to know he wants to know why he's just a pig headed, stupid white racist, as if anybody really had a deep motivation for being such. Uh, Mary Jane goes to the uh to the hospital to try to do some tough love on Christy and says, you know, by the way, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave your skinny ass right here uh if you don't shape up. Uh and then so Spider-Man then, you know, goes looking for the rocket racer and Eddie Cross, and it turns out that the rocket racer has found Eddie's father who happens to be a rabbi so yes indeed eddie eddie cross the jew hating bald not nazi skinhead is a self-loathing jew oh boy anyway <laughs> so and then the blob jump comes in and you can tell it's the blob because as spider-man bring you know brings to our attention i can, he can see the swastika tattoo still on the blob. Yeah. So even though this guy's genetic, you know, entire genetic makeup is totally, totally, <laughs> where he's not even recognizably human, the swastika tattoo is still there. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, but Spider-Man figured, but it turns out that the, the bald Nazi skinhead, self-loathing Jew really hates his father. Because his father was proud of being a Jew. Okay, I don't connect the dots. What? So he's going to eat his father now. But Spider-Man is able to see Eddie's skeleton, I guess, through the blob. And so Spider-Man jumps into the blob and knocks out the skeleton. 
And then when he knocks out the skeleton, the blob kind of recoalesces into Eddie's uh, nude, uh, skin, skinned molten man form. Okay. Wow. Anyway, and uh, so anyway, the rabbi, you know, we, we, we have this end now. The rabbi says, because I was proud to be a Jew, Eddie felt different, like an outcast. And Spider-Man goes, so what's wrong with different? We're all different, Mr. Cross. Tall, short, black, white, Gentile, or Jew. All different. And then the rocket racer chimes in and says, yeah, but when it comes to the flesh and blood underneath, we're all the same. You can almost hear Kumbaya starting up in the background. And then Spider-Man says, <laughs> and Spider-Man says, the human spirit burns in all of us, Mr. Cross. No matter what we look like or how we live or what we believe, we each hold the torch of human dignity. Wow. <sighs> now, I've got a follow-up to this, JR. Um, I, you would think Skinhead would be done after that. He has made three, or made four appearances in the Marvel Universe. He came back in 1994 in the Captain Marvel Volume 2, Issue Number 1, uh, which we're talking Captain Marvel as in Monica Rambeau. Evidently, they tried to try her out as a – and it was the 90s. Is this, a, is this a Muslim Captain Marvel? No. <laughs> no, this isn't this, the teenage Muslim Captain Marvel? No, this oh, is the oh. African-American Monica Rambeau. And I just sent you the link. He came back again at Empire U, and all the description I have of this is Captain Marvel comes across racial prejudice at Empire State University again. <laughs> so Skinhead teams up with the Sons of the Serpent, and this one's written by the late Dwayne McDuffie and Mark Bright on pencils. So he came back, and that's the last you saw of Skinhead. <laughs> and that was two times too many. Two times too many. Oh, this uh, off. That was a horrible story, Jr. Just horrible. Well, I mean, it's like, it's hard to believe this is the same Gary Conway, Jerry Conway, who wrote some of the most significant Spider-Man stories yeah. ever. But it's, 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 wow. I mean, it's like, you know, I, I, I know, he, I know he thinks he has something to say, but holy cow, you know, I mean, you know, you talk, you, you talk about using, you talk about, you know, using a howitzer to pound a nail. Holy cow. Right. We got one more. I don't know if you covered it, Jr. Marvel Fanfare 47. Did you cover that one? Uh, no, because, uh, okay. because it said a Hulk robot. And I, you know, I, I don't have, <laughs> I don't have the issue myself, but I saw a description yeah. and said the guest starring the Hulk, uh, parentheses, robot. And I'm thinking, hmm, wait a minute here. After, after Banjo, Joe, Bug Eye, Maul, uh, Skinhead, the self-loathing Jew. Uh, no, I, <laughs> you can't. You tap out. No, I'm, I, I'm done, and, and I've got pumpkin bread to eat. So yeah, no. yeah. That was written by Bill Mantlo and Michael Golden. Um, that came out again. Thank you to Sam Ruby for helping us do the months uh, with Spider History. Very good, Jr. This was. I would say a horrible, horrible month in 1989 for Spider History. What, what do you think? What gave you that idea? <laughs> As you nom, nom, nom. I mean, bring me more pumpkin bread. <laughs> uh, we're doing bios now. We're doing a little bit different. Different. Bertoni had a uh, his hands full with the uh, the Spider Jeopardy. So we we have uh, Don and we have Chris uh, each going to do a little bio. 
of uh, Spider-Man characters. So the first one up is Banjo. And <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Chris, you want to start? Who do you got? Who's who's your bio of this month? All right, I'm, I'm going to talk about um, Mr. Pincus, a.k.a. Lonesome Pincus, a.k.a. Lonesome Pinky. And uh, okay. my interest in this character started, I think, last month when, in the message board question, someone brought up uh, Denny O'Neill's run, and I was forced to admit that I hadn't read it. And I was embarrassed because I'm on a I'm on the Spider-Man podcast, and I need there just can't be a Spider-Man run that I haven't read. So so I hit the essentials, and uh, see, Denny O'Neill really only had one major running subplot, and it it was a mystery. And the mystery began in number 211 when uh, Peter is awoken from a sound sleep in his apartment at 3 a.m. in the morning to a man singing so loud in the apartment next door that the screech of it pierces through the wall. And the singing, um, I mean, I have to only uh, imagine what the tune would be, but the lyrics are, Maxine, Maxine, of love and beauty, you are the queen. You ought to be the star of a movie scene. Wow. And uh, Peter calls it appalling, and he pounds the wall so hard that the paint cracks. And he, the, someone's car alarm's going off. I'm really sorry. That's um, all right. I'll, I'll that, that was the bad to... singing alert, and the bad singing cops <laughs> are just about I, I to come. Set, I set that car alarm off with my voice. Now, what, what issue of Amazing is this? We're, we're talking about singing. number 211, and this is a, this is a big okay. subplot. So it, you know, it goes all the way up to really 219. Um, okay. Biggest subplot <laughs> of that era, really, and I'm serious. <laughs> and I'm really sorry. So... Does, does Don want to go while this car alarm's going? So No, it, oh, it adds to the singing. Okay, it I'll, I'll get, it'll be my rhythm. You know, it'll be the okay, beat. Go ahead. Um, but anyway, so Spider-Man's so agitated at 3 a.m. that the singing is going on that he he decides that the only way to clear his head is to go web swinging. So, uh, you know, he he's he's so irritated that he doesn't realize that as he starts to climb out of his windows, he's wearing his Spider-Man costume on the top half of his body and his Spider-Man shoes, but he's still wearing his pajama pants. And uh, when he realizes that he's wearing his pajama pants, like spider sense lines are coming out of his head. So he looks like, oh, oh man, my, my, I look like so much of an idiot. My spider sense is going off. But like anyway, Spider-Man goes on this adventure where he's on a boat. And all you really need to know is that during a fight with Namor, his costume gets soaked with brine. Um, yeah. And uh, the next time this subplot picks up is uh, Spidey goes back to his apartment and um, he... Uh, he uh, is washing his... Um, you know, actually, we, we have another uh, instance of hearing the song between that. You know, he hears... Uh, he's in his apartment between fight, fights with Hydro Man, and he hears, Maxine! Maxine! You are my honey, my doll! If I don't get to kiss you, I surely will scowl! And he's furious, and he says, louder and rottener than ever. So then the next issue, which is 2.13 after that, um, he's washing his costume in his bathtub, and he says, you know, ever since my, my costume got soaked in brine, it's been unbearably itchy. And the statement has an asterisk on it that directs you to a footnote at the bottom of the panel, which says, a momentous event that occurred in issue number 211. And you know you're reading a great run when Spider-Man's costume getting soaked in brine and getting an itch is a momentous event, and it gets its own footnote. Thank, thank God the car alarm's over. Um, but while he's trying to wash his costume in peace, he hears, Maggie, Maggie, I'm sure glad your name ain't Aggie, because I never 
Maggie, who wasn't a draggy, nor to be quite truthful, Skaggy. And like Peter's like, thought to himself is like, I wonder what he looks like—a giant tonsil in hideous agony, maybe. So. Peter leaves his apartment to go on a date with Deb Whitman, and uh, this is actually what his thought bubble says. A date with Debbie Whitman isn't the most exciting thing in the world, but it beats listening to... And and then he's cut off because another character enters the scene, but what he was obviously about to say is that, you know, dating Debbie Whitman isn't the best, but it's better than Aggie, Aggie! (laughs) (laughs) That's the best compliment he can come up with for his girlfriend at the time. So... Spider-Man goes and he, he fights the wizard, and when he's done, he gets back to his apartment building, and there, there are two men getting their mail in the apartment lobby. One of them is a tall, lanky guy in a country and western outfit, as Peter describes it, and the other is a quiet, unassuming, modest, little bearded man. And Peter thinks that the guy dressed like a cowboy is the screeching neighbor, and he ignores the um, bearded man. So mm-hmm. if if you're a savvy reader of mystery fiction, you can probably <laughs> guess what the twist is going to be. But keep in mind, this was 1980, I believe, so the Hobgoblin mystery hadn't happened yet. Readers were not used to the intricate layers of sly misdirection and surprise revelations. So, you know, we have to see what happens next now. So there's a, a fight between the Spider-Man and the Frightful Four, which results in fire being set to the, the whole apartment building, and Spider-Man has to save a homeless person who fell through the burning roof by clearing a path through the flames by squeezing the water out of someone's waterbed. And uh, at this point, we've crossed over into number 214. And because the apartment building is, gets burned out, all the residents are put up by the insurance company in a fancy hotel building downtown. And... I want you guys to pay careful attention because there is a key clue in this scene. See, all the residents are in the elevator in the hotel, and Peter sees the tall guy who dresses like a cowboy, and he thinks, uh-oh, there's that tall guy, the one I think sings those cruddy songs that keep me up all night. If his room is next to mine, but then the guy dressed like a cowboy hits a button on the elevator, and Peter thinks, nuts, he's getting off the 10th floor, and I'm on the 9th. I hope he's not above me. And the quiet little bearded man is also in the elevator. And Peter thinks, why can't everyone be like this little bearded man, quiet and scholarly? Peter goes to his hotel room, and he is instantly stunned by how spacious and luxurious he is, and he plops himself on the bed and thinks, I'll catch some Zs, and then uh, phone some friends. But then, I was born in a garbage can, because Mama married a sanitation man. My gosh. I I hope you're paying attention to the elevator scene that I told you about, because if you look closely, the singing is coming from the wall behind Peter, not the 10th floor above him. So it can't be the guy dressed like a cowboy who got off on a different floor. So Denny O'Neill is a devious, plotting mastermind. And, and so the mystery goes back on hold for an issue, and it picks back up on number 216. Um, and in that one, the song goes like this. Oh, the fire burnt up my favorite cactus. Didn't even need no practice. And, <laughs> you know, I would, I would point out at this time the mystery of who is singing these songs next door has been going on for six months in real time. Which is, which is probably about how long the Goblin mystery and the current superior has been going on. So, like, this is 
Like, this is seriously, I, I'm not exaggerating, the mystery of this run. <laughs> and uh, in number 217, you know, Spider's come, Spider-Man comes home from another fight with Hydra-Man, and he passes the guy dressed like a cowboy on the way in, and Peter hasn't been paying attention to the subtle clues, so he still thinks this is the person who is singing, and he passes the little bearded man on the stairway and thinks, I wish everyone were like that little man. Quiet, scholarly, <laughs> never bothers anyone. Anna Maria Marconi's uh, father. <laughs> no, oh, that'd be oh, awesome. Man. Oh, man. That's going to blow your mind. <laughs> okay. Slot would um, do that. Well, he totally would. Yeah. So Peter Peter is so tired from his latest fight with Hydro-Man that uh, he thinks, you know, eight hours in the land of Nod, and I may resemble a human being again. My pappy was a butcher. My mama cooked the meat. I was the fathead that played out on the street. <laughs> and so... At, at this point, Peter looks deranged. He he says out loud, like, with his head on the pillow, no, 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 no. And he stands up and he screams, I absolutely can't stand it! Shut up! And Peter pounds his fist straight through the wall, leaving a three-foot-wide <laughs> hole. And, you know, he's... Re- Realizing he almost blew his, the fact that he has super strength, so he says, oh, the, the fire must have weakened the wall. But more importantly, he sees his singing neighbor, and it is none other than not the lanky guy dressed like a cowboy, though he is dressed like a cowboy in this scene because he's in the privacy of his home. But it yeah. is the quiet little bearded man dressed like a cowboy in the privacy of his apartment. And he isn't phased yeah. that his neighbor just punched through the freaking wall like the Kool-Aid man. He, he just says, you know, accidents will happen, and he, he introduces himself as Lonesome Pincus. And, yeah. and so Spider-Man's next adventure is the one where Hydra-Man and Sandman merge into a mud monster who performs on Broadway. But, you know, that that's for, you know, like another another summary. Like, I, I, just, I just wanted to give you the color of the era because I want to let you know that this isn't even the really stupid stuff. Um, but, but, <laughs> but in issue number 219, uh, so Peter passes Mr. Um, Pincus in the hall, and he's now wearing his cowboy suit in public because the mystery is over, and he just says, you know, that's my nosy neighbor, Mr. Pincus, and he says that out loud to Mr. Pincus. He's like, hey, my nosy neighbor, Mr. Pincus. Um, it, it, it was slot speak before slot. And uh, Mr. Pincus replies, Lonesome Pinky, if you please, young man. I got what you what the musicians call a gig. And gig is in quotes. I got what the musicians call a gig tomorrow night at what the musicians call a joint in Brooklyn. And um, this is an important event because it's the first time we get the name Lonesome Pinky instead of Lonesome Pincus yeah. or Mr. Pincus. Um and uh, then Mr. Pincus uh, swings his guitar around and says, Whoopee! Oh. Chris, you still there? That is a terrible look, look. drop, Chris. Oh, that was, that was great, by the way. I'm never allowed to do a Bertone's bio again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I, any of us would be shamed by Chris doing the uh, usual thing. Wow, that that was awesome. By the way, let me try to get Chris back. But holy cow, that was awesome! I don't even remember Lonesome Pinky. Jr., you remember him? Of course. 
Okay. You do? I mean, oh I, I have pilloried the Denny O'Neill run relentlessly, so uh, yeah. I would like somebody else taking a shot at it. Oh, man, that was so funny. Okay, Chris, you're back. I'm you're back. back. And that was a dramatic pause because I was about to, like, blow your, <laughs> your minds because number 221 is a lonesome, pinky-centric issue. Uh, yeah. And the title <laughs> of the story is Blues for Lonesome Pinky. And uh, basically, there is a uh, college professor named Dr. Kissick who is being um, threatened with violence by a villain with the horrifying name of Ramrod. Um, (laughs) And uh, Ramrod says needs Dr. Kissick to mix him uh, a a special poison, which only the scientist is a specialist in poisons. And Ramrod says that guy Mickey will be real sorry he ever crossed me. Him and all his customers too. The next, so the next day, um, Lonesome Pinky gives Peter a free pass to his joint, his gig at the joint, which happens to be Mickey's, and that is where Lonesome Pinky's gig is. And uh, Peter goes to Mickey's, which obviously Ramrod has a grudge with for some reason. And Peter's thinking when he's going to this bar where like Lonesome Pinky's performing, he thinks I shouldn't really be here, not with a chem class to prepare, but Mr. Pinkus is such an awful singer. I can't resist checking out how he does in public. Th- that's just like Peter Parker, you know, like, screw chemistry. I want to take pleasure in watching a sensitive, lonely man humiliating himself in public. Um, and uh, Deb Whitman happens to be at the bar, and she's on a date with her new boyfriend, uh, Biff Rifkin. And, and uh, <laughs> Biff Rifkin is the big uh, romantic rival of this of this time, and uh, Biff is a big show off. Um, he, he says, "Oh, like this this country music scene is so ethnic," um, and, and he decides to show off by buying the whole bar a round of drinks. And Peter is handed a glass of beer, and he thinks, "Spider sense reacting to the beer, telling me what's in that glass is a no no." So Peter, <laughs> damn. <laughs> Peter passes on, on the spider sense alerting beer and just lets everyone else in the bar drink it. And um, Lo- Lonesome Pinky gets on stage and starts singing. They wouldn't let me ride the range, cause I had a bad case of the mange. That's why I'm singing these honky tonk blues, and also minding my p's and q's. <laughs> Oh. oh my god. And and so the crowd, That's epic. The, the crowd starts heckling uh, Lonesome Pinky and then Pinky just hangs his head and says, "I'm sorry, I'll leave." And Peter thinks, "Poor Mr. Pinky." And wait a minute, wasn't watching him embarrass himself while Peter went there. Um and mm-hmm. then suddenly the crowd starts like looking really happy and like they start dancing and one guy starts does a handstand and Peter thinks they've all gone <laughs> mad. And so he, just, so he decides he needs to change into Spider-Man. And luckily, for the sake of his secret identity, there is a telephone booth inside the bar. And so he's able to change. And, the, the, and while he's changing, the crowd actually starts to get violent. Um, and, and it turns out that the beer was actually poisoned with the um, poison commissioned by Ramrod. And uh, because and so Spider-Man has to sort of quell the crowd that's going to kill each other. And um, because it's a country music bar, he uh, Spider-Man 
he's talking in uh, country music phrases. So he, like Spider-Man says, I plum forgot my lasso. Reckon my webbing will have to do. <laughs> and so the, the riot gets more intense. And uh, the bartender and Lonesome Pinky and Spider-Man are the only people who had drank the beer. So they're the only people who have retained their sanity. And uh, the bartender grabs Lonesome Pinky by his collar and starts shaking him. And he says, do something, man. Sing, play, anything to help quiet down this crowd. And so Pinky um, is singing again, and the crowd freezes. And so we're at the point in the story where it turns out that Lonesome Pinky's singing is the only thing that can stop this crowd of drugged-out country music fans from killing each other. And if he stops singing for even one minute, people will die, and he has to hold the line while Spider-Man goes to get the antidote from Dr. Kissick, uh, because he's the only person Spider-Man knows who has such knowledge of poisons that he could come up with an antidote. But little does he know that Kissick confesses to Spider-Man that it was actually he who created this poison, and in fact, it will kill the people who have taken it in 90 minutes, unless they uh, get the antidote. So, um, meanwhile, you cut back to the bar, and Lonesome Pinky has a spotlight on him, and he's getting progressively more hoarse, and sweat is starting to pour down his face because he's playing his heart out, and he can't stop, and he's about to fall from his chair. And Denny, and it turns out, though, that under these circumstances, Lonesome Pinky finds a way to sing from his heart, and we are told that the song... Well, Denny O'Neill doesn't... He writes a couple of the lines of the good version of the song, but more, I, I don't, he's probably not, uh, I'll just say he probably at this point in his career was not a good enough writer to actually write a good song that was moving, so he just sort of describes it in the <laughs> captions, and um, the <laughs> captions describe Lonesome Pinky's good song as, the song is different, it is not of plains and prairies, no. It is of hate-filled voices shrieking in tenement halls, of the hostile stares of lonely strangers, and of standing alone on a street corner on the coldest night of the year. It is plaintive and quite beautiful. Um, So, you know, just as uh, Pinky is about to collapse, though, um, Spider-Man, you know, he actually has to get in a fight with Ramrod outside the bar before he can get the antidote to the people. And Ramrod has, like, metal implants in his body, so Spider-Man defeats him by uh, luring him into a junkyard and um, turning on one of those big metal magnets that dangle down and, like, just, you know, predictably, like many supervillains have fallen prey to, gets defeated by a magnet. And, uh, but, um, hold on, I... I, Ramrod expounds on his villainous motivation for poisoning the people in the bar. So Ramrod, as his motivation as he describes it was, all them punks deserve it for supporting that cruddy excuse for real country music. I told the <laughs> owner himself where he could find a real country singer, but he wouldn't even give me an audition. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the supervillain was scorned by this country music bar in Brooklyn they decided to poison everybody um <laughs> and uh, wow so wow yeah Spider-Man uh bursts into the bar with the antidote just as Lonesome Pinky can't sing another word and uh the only way that Spider-Man can get these crazy people to even drink the antidote is he yells free drinks and he just starts pouring the antidote into shot glasses and handing them out. <laughs> and uh, Damn. through that awesome. method, these, these people uh, 
cure themselves and um, everybody comes to their senses and they leave and all go home, all except for one man, Lonesome Pinky, who stands alone on the stage and the caption reads, Inside, forgotten, stands the hero. As valiant in his fashion as any peacemaker in history, not knowing whether this has been the best night of his life or the worst, trying not to care. Mm. Uh, so, and that was Dan- Denny O'Neill's last issue on Amazing, if well, I'm not I, mistaken. I think he, so there was a fill-in writer, and then um, yeah. I know he did an issue where mm-hmm. uh, J.M. DeMattis actually did the scripting. Um, mm-hmm. So I think there was a couple after that, but that was like the last one of like his, the bulk of his run. Um, and yeah. and it, it's a fitting end because it really is the emotional payoff to, at this point, a subplot that has been building for nine months. Wow. And it actually, it's a well-done mystery. It has clues, directions. You actually can use process of elimination with the clues that are set out for you. Um, it has an emotional payoff where this character actually has his moment in the spotlight, literally. Um, yeah. He appears three more times, and I, I didn't, couldn't get these issues handy for the podcast, so I had to just basically read some summaries off of the Internet. Uh, he appears in Roger Stern's run in number 234, and the uh, description just says that in that issue, Pinky gives Peter a dozen eggs, half a Boston cream pie, and a nice brisket. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, uh, oh, my God. In uh, number, number 240... Number two, Fuzzy Lonesome Pinky has a conversation with Amy Powell uh, in which he says Peter is a mensch. Um, mensch. And, uh, mensch. And, uh, I, and I guess he forgot that Peter punched a hole in his wall. Uh, and um, in Spectacular Spider-Man number 101, Peter goes to a bluegrass festival that Lonesome Pinky recommended. And uh, that, that's it. We surprisingly have not heard from this character again. And he's four foot one, which leads us. That's a very good uh, guess that uh, Miss Marconi is his. Her, <laughs> that's actually father. a really, I mean, really racist guess. <laughs> well, I mean, it, I don't know. Anyway, very good, very good, Chris. Bravo! I love the brisket part. Awesome. The brisket part at the end was epic. <laughs> uh, all right, Don, follow that. Uh, <laughs> I <don't> wanna... <laughs> Can I ask one question before we move on? Just yeah, yeah. Question. Was Denny O'Neill his own editor on that title? I don't know. That's a good question. I have the essential uh, that I was reading no, it from. Because I just can't figure out any other way those stories got through. <laughs> that is incredible. I uh, and, and actually doing a, as I was listening uh, to Chris do an epic thing uh, on Comic Vine or something. They, uh, someone quoted. I, it could be wrong, but someone quoted uh, Mr. Shooter as saying, "Denny O'Neill, if he really cared, you could tell. If he didn't, you got stories like Mr. Pinky." <laughs> Well, so. <laughs> well, hold on. I, I feel that like a lot of care has been put up in building a compelling mystery, so I don't know, your mileage may vary. True, true. <laughs> Very good, Chris. Epic. Uh, Don, who do we got for you? Uh, well, uh, <laughs> the good thing is that, like, well, the, the bad news is they won't nearly be as intensely amazing as, as uh, uh, Lonesome Pinkets, but... The good news is that like my suffering won't last long because it's only mainly a, in a three-part story. Although there are more okay. appearances, uh, we are. I wouldn't be talking about uh, a character that premiered during the Stanley John Romita era. Um, uh, in the issue which uh, introduced uh, Joe Robertson's son Randy, we also got the introduction of a particularly uh, flamboyantly angry character named Josh, 
Josh has been mentioned before. He's a uh, he's basically like a straw man token angry black guy in the Spider-Man comics, which they desperately needed at the time. I assume. I assume. And um, does he have a last name? Is it just Josh? I could not find a last name for him. And like he's, uh, he's just Josh. Okay. Uh, yeah, oh, although just... according to the Marvel site, Josh Keatling. Okay. Accord, no, that's another I character, isn't it? Josh Keating? Keating? Oh, another, another character that showed up later on. Joe it Keating was the writer of Morbius. <laughs> Connection? It doesn't really matter. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Sorry. All right, so, like, I mean, and again, like, he has more more appearances, but the, his first three appearances in ASM 68 through, through 70 are mainly what we get from him. So, an issue uh, of... Uh, 60, issue of Made Spider-Man 68, we first meet uh, uh, Josh when Peter meets Randy. They kind of introduce each other. Uh, Robbie told Randy about Peter, so he introduces himself, and they hit it off pretty well. And so we see Josh come, like, come up behind Peter already with a sunken look on his face um, and says, uh, Randy says, hey, uh, let me introduce you to my friend Peter, uh, Josh. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, there's a lot of slang in this, which I might uh, repeat after a while. So he kind of says, whatever. Did you hear about the, uh, where do you stand at the exhibit, uh, exhibition hall issue, Parker? And uh, Peter says, oh, I don't really know. Since you're just back from the moon, I'll clue you in. And essentially, like, this whole, <laughs> this whole deal is um, over a dorm hall that's empty that the students at ESU kind of want to be torn into a, turn into a low-rent dorm room. But the, uh, the alumni are turning that into, like, a place for, so they can hang out. And this turns into, like, like one of the most violent riot scenes you've ever seen in Amazing Spider-Man over empty dorm rooms that they just want but can't have. So we get a lot of, like, anger and fear over what I assume is really nothing. Um, so Peter says, so that's supposed to be for the students. Now you're getting it, man. Uh, he basically <laughs> says, we're going to uh, protest this by any means necessary, <laughs> invoking Malcolm wow. X over this dorm room debate. So Peter says, Randy seems like a nice guy, but this Josh fellow sure looks like trouble. Uh, later in the issue, after a couple of scenes with Gwen and J. Jonah Jameson, we see that Randy and Josh have, a, uh, have gathered a large group of people with signs that don't say, please let us have the dorm room, or it would be nice to have the dorm room. It says, dorm or die. <laughs> <laughs> we demand low-rent dorm. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! It's awesome. And um, so Peter like like somehow finds his way back into the crowd, and uh, Randy says, "Hey, get your friends, and we'll, we'll have some more signs." And um, Peter says, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! I don't know the whole story." And um, okay, this this is where the dialogue gets in. Um, Josh pipes up and says, um, "Look, Whitey, how much you have to know? <laughs> this is me doing a black guy in the seventies voice." <laughs> <laughs> the school is turning the exhaul over to the establishment, but it belongs to us, and we want it. You just know we're going to get it. And Peter says, but what's the other guy's side of the story? We ain't buying what he says. From now on, we do the talking. You thought that, like, if, if you give him the guy one more issue, he was, like, popped in there with a the gun saying, I want this room and I want it now. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, Peter says this is a terrible idea, and um, Josh calls him a chicken and calls him Whitey once or twice more times behind his back. Um, eventually, like, they gather enough people that they decide to just rush in the dorm hall, which is actually guarded, because this is actually the start of the, the Tablet of Time arc. Um, the right. tablet is actually being uh, presented at a school for reasons. Um, I'm looking at the cover of Amazing 68. Is that Josh on the cover with, like, a necklace around him? He's the guy that's kind of drawn like Charlie Mingus. Uh, yeah. he has, I mean, is that him on the cover? I mean, I'm he trying has, to he look. He has a soul patch and a mustache and a receding hairline. 
Yeah, it looks like Josh is on the cover of Amazing sixty eight. Yes, that, that yeah, that is I'm looking at right now. He has a turtleneck okay. and a and a, a, a necklace. The necklace that I usually wear. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of dresses like I do now. Um, so and, and you see like later on, you see more uh, signs that says ESU few and uh, <laughs> do or die for this dorm. <laughs> <laughs> they so, really uh, care about their dorms. Vietnam, not so much. Crisis on the campus. I uh, know. You get the you get the idea that Stanley really wanted to incorporate the youthful uh, anger that was rising in the late sixties, but he didn't want to uh, have it over the Vietnam War or or uh, or drugs or anything. So he says, uh, they want a room in their school, like the least, the most, the least offensive topic as possible. So um, they rush inside the hall. Everyone, this 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 reaches uh, New York's television news station. So Jameson and Robbie rush down. The, Robbie rushes down there because Randy's involved. The Kingpin says he can use it to his, his advantage, as if this was a '90s show. So um, they rush inside the hall. They rush right outside the uh, the tablet where the security guards are. And Peter's actually between the tablet and the and the group, saying this is a bad idea, and you guys know it. Um, and uh, uh, they're saying we, we ain't buying what you're selling, Parker. So Josh <laughs> Josh gets the idea. It says. Say, those private guards gave me an idea. If we could get our hands on that tablet, then they'd have to listen to us. And uh, even Randy says that's a bad idea because they're outright stealing. But um, Josh is not listening to him at this point. It should also be noted that like uh, some character called uh, Randy, the son of Uncle Tom, which, which um, uh, Josh wow. defends by saying, Look, cool, you hear? We got a job to do. Randy's a soul brother, and don't you forget it. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> wow. So, um... Long story short, the kingpin uh, bursts in there to try to steal the tablet and all the confusion. Randy uh, gets injured, but Spider-Man saves him and beats up uh, the kingpin. At the end of the issue, the cops arrest uh, all the black guys <laughs> because they assume that they try to they try to steal the tablet. Uh, Robbie rushes in, wow. saying that he'll he'll help them out uh, however he can. And uh, Josh is forced to admit that Robbie is not an Uncle Tom, but uh, a whole lot of man. Uh, this this momentous saga continues in ASM sixty nine. A whole lot of man. <laughs> I'm glad this is going so well. Oh my goodness! So uh, the, the saga continues in the next issue where they're not really being arrested, but they're just kind of like talking in a room, uh, yelling at the, yelling at the um, the ESU alumni. Uh, basically, uh, Josh is saying that like like like. Um, He's trying to tell Robbie. Robbie's saying, you guys have a right to be angry, but there's no right to you know, cause any violence or destruction, even though they didn't. They just kind of gathered a lot of people to there. And Josh says, look, man, maybe you're no K-Cat, but we've got to do things our way. We ain't never going to get nowhere until we shake things up. Uh, no, until we shake up Whitey a little bit. This is written by Stan Lee. <laughs> I never could have gotten away with doing this uh, as a Bertone's bio. That's true. <laughs> oh, oh man! And uh, there, there's a big moment between Randy and Robbie because Randy, uh, Randy's not nearly as militant as Josh is, but he still is angry about the establishment. And he says, um, "Don't you see? Can't you understand? I have to be tougher. I have to be more militant because of you, Joe Robertson. You've become the, part of the establishment, the white man's establishment. I gotta live that down." Uh, and right outside. There are defenders for the protesters, people protesting the protesters' arrest. So because the protesters were arrested, people were protesting that, saying, (laughs) (laughs) cook an egg, cook a goose, turn the demonstrators loose. (laughs) (laughs) 
You know? There's one sign that says, let our... Oh, my gosh. There's one sign that says, let our leaders go. (laughs) As though this is like... Oh, that's so horrible. Alabama. (laughs) I don't know. Um... So and, and then Gwen Stacy finds herself uh, in the middle of it and smacks one guy because he called Peter Parker chicken for not being anywhere near them. Um, so we get some more scenes of, of the Kingpin and uh, Captain Stacy. The socket continues in the next issue, issue seventy. I'm just looking for the page where it turns out that like the dean who was in charge of uh, wh- how the dorm room was going to be given to was on their side the entire time. It was all a wacky misunderstanding. That turned into, <laughs> man. That turned into, man. This, this whole misunderstanding. People have gone to jail, police brutality. It's like <laughs> racial unrest over one guy that's not giving the message. <laughs> and, um, so, man. so Josh says, that's what we were fighting for. That means we won. And uh, he says, oh, I should have told you guys, but uh, I told you students, but I just thought that students should be seen and not heard. It's all my fault. I'm sorry. And um, the, last mi- the, th- the last thing that Josh says is that um, I sure had you pegged wrong, Mr. Robertson. Even if you work for Whitey, you're a right cat in my book. Maybe, maybe there's a lot of things I gotta think about more. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, he, he, he makes another appearance like later. I, I don't, this is not important, but like where Peter passes by and he's worried about you know, being Spider-Man in his double life. And he says, oh, he basically plays Flash Thompson saying, oh, look, there's Parker. He's not saying hi to us. And then, and then uh, Randy defends him by saying, you know, Parker doesn't have to do the rah-rah bit to prove that he's got soul. And then um, <laughs> the last major appearance I saw uh, was in issue 87. It was actually a pretty good issue where, where Peter in a, in a drunken stupor admits that he's Spider-Man to his friends. Uh, not, not drunk. He had, well, he, had, yeah. he had the flu. But, um, like 86 or something? 80, Amazing. 87, I believe. It's uh, a pretty good cover. Um, the setting is at Gwen Stacy's birthday party where everybody's there, even her best pal, Josh and Randy. Although Josh didn't, didn't interact with anybody else besides Peter. Uh, Randy's playing uh, Gwen a little tune on his guitar. And um, Josh, Josh said, I don't know the exact quote, but he says, you know, come on, man, put some soul into it. So, <laughs> like, that's his last major appearance that I could find. He, he he has recently uh, returned um, in ASM six twenty two in the backup story uh, that Greg Risen wrote about Flash Thompson's therapy after losing his legs. Uh, we see the return right. of a lot of uh, high school characters. We see the Shishan. return of Jason Ionella, Cheshawn, Tiny, uh, and we see we you would have never known this was Josh because Josh does make an appearance, but you would have never known it because. <laughs> <I don't, laughs> An unfortunate uh, coloring uh, circumstance uh, forced Josh to turn white. <laughs> the thing that he hates the most. Oh, he looks like Eminem in that. In that, uh, oh, that's so, too bad. So uh, the, uh, the last, even Greg Weissman was like, "Oh, that's too bad." <laughs> like the issue before, you can just imagine him like waking up and saying, "Like I am curious, white," and just looking at his hands and saying, "No, yeah. no, no," and that's the last appearance of Josh. You need more soul, brother. <laughs> Whatever the quote was. My soul. What happened to my soul? <laughs> my soul. <laughs> that was very good. Very minor, minor character. Thank you. You did really good with it. All right, uh, wrap it up. It's been a long, long day of recordings. Uh, recommendations and what's what do we also call it, Josh? Recommendations and warnings. <laughs> Recommendations and warnings. Go, you go, Josh. What do you recommend and warn people about? Uh, okay. Well, uh, I was dragged um, to the uh, Minecraft convention last weekend. 
So, but there there was some Marvel related stuff that happened there. Um, they gave us a free night at Islands of Adventure for just the con attendees, so we didn't have to wait in any lines. So I got to go on the Spider Man ride for the first time since uh, they added some new stuff on it. I know that they like redid some of the CGI. Like like now you see a building and it's called Oscorp, which it wasn't called that when you, I first went on the ride in the late nineties because Oscorp was just from the cartoons then. And uh, but they still haven't fixed some of the mistakes. Like there's a poster and I took a picture of it put on Facebook. It says Wanted Edward Leeds the Hobgoblin, and I'm like, there's like six things wrong with that image right there. <laughs> and when, and I tag Brad in this photo. When you park, it does the different cartoon characters. And uh, for Spider Man, there's no hyphen. Oh, damn. And uh, we saw Lou Ferrigno. Not Lou Ferrigno. What am I saying? Mark Ruffalo, the other Hulk, the new Hulk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when we were in line for Harry Potter, uh, we got to see Mark Ruffalo and we uh, fist bumped him uh, because we didn't have any cameras or, much to Brad's chagrin, any I love the crawl space signs because that was my second thought. Like, whenever I see a Marvel, like, celebrity, I, I, I... automatically think that I'm at San Diego and I'm like, oh, let me get out my thing to take a picture for Brad. And I'm like, wait a second. I'm not at a convention, right? You should carry it in your wallet like a condom. <laughs> or right next to your condom. <laughs> right next to your condom, yeah. Yeah, am I right? But the Spider-Man ride was fun to do again. Um, and That's cool. I, I love walking through that Marvel area. And they have the little comic shop there. And I walk through, and the first thing I saw was Alpha, like, predominantly on the stands, and I groaned. And the kids were like, what's wrong with Alpha? And, like, they had to hear me, like, say for the next 20 minutes, like, everything that was wrong with the Alpha storyline. I gotta admit, Alpha is better than Banjo. Right. Well, when when we were in line for the Spider-Man ride, um, the the kids are, like, aware through, like, osmosis of being around me that, like, superior Spider-Man is something that happened. And they saw the Doc Ock, and I'm like, yeah, he's Spider-Man now. And one kid's like, still? And I had to, like, explain to the other kid. And I'm like, well, yeah, Spider-Man's dead now. And he's like, oh, well, he'll be back. So even the kids kids get it. Even the kids know. Yeah, so um, Islands of Adventure, the Spider-Man ride, the whole Marvel area, that was just uh, fun to be in again for the first time in years. Uh, I really want to go. I'm trying to think of any warnings that I have. I don't think I do this month, so I'll pass it along. Chris, warnings or recommendations? Well, um, I spent my month reading the Denny O'Neill Spider-Man run, so (laughs) I guess all I have is a warning, but I think I've already uh, given it. Um... Uh, I, I just have such things to look forward to as uh, Dan Slott's Silver Surfer run, so I recommend reading that when it comes out in the future, because uh, this is the first recording session we had since it was announced that I was right, even though you all laughed at me, so <laughs> I'm not going to let this close without rubbing that in just a little bit. Nice. Don? I have a few things. Um, okay. Um, oh, yes. Uh uh, X-Men. I really like the X-Men. I'm not, I'm not an ardent reader of the comic books. I mean, I, I've, I've read, you know, I've read uh, Dark Phoenix Saga. I've read the Waterball Saga. I've read um, Days of Future Past. And um, just reading the old stuff really reminds me why I really like the X-Men. And I, I've fa- so fallen, fall- I've fallen off the truck because it just goes too fast in terms of continuity. But I recently got uh, a cheap trade of uh, Chris Claremont Visionaries, which is just a, it's just a random grab bag of issues. But there were some really, really awesome issues. Uh, there was this, there was this like two part story, like an, I think Uncanny one eighty four, and then later on one ninety six, called Life Death about Storm. And the first one was about like her her romance with Forge, which started there, and it was really, really, really good, like really good. 
And uh, there, there, there's some good issues there from like the, uh, the Claremont Burn Run in the Savage Land um, later on with Jim Lee. Just just excellent stuff. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, this, this is vaguely uh, connected to Spider-Man because uh, uh, our old pal Donald Glover, who was uh, once uh, touted to be the next Spider-Man in some sort of movie, um, I don't like saying his rapper name, but I do, I, I've, I've gotten to listen to some of his music under his... Uh, other moniker, Childish Gambino, which is uh, not my least favorite rap name since Wiz Khalifa, which I'm sure Brad is now familiar with. <laughs> uh, nice. But he, I, I, like, I, like, I like his stuff. I mean, he's referenced Spider-Man every now and then, but like, I like generally his music. And I know he has a new album coming out called uh, Because the Internet next month. So I, I recommend that. I like, I like that. Um, yeah. I, I like him. Um, let's see. I thought there was some few more. I... I a recent episode of the Next Dimension a DBZ podcast came out uh, the other day. Find it at dbznextdimension.lipson.com. And I like Thor. I like Thor, too. I thought it was fun. I cannot for the life of me. I think there was more, but I cannot think of anything else. I'm sorry. So that'll be it. It's cool. Kevin, I have a couple of TV recommendations because Netflix has been doing some adding. Um this is not new on Netflix, but I just finally watched Parks and Recreation after having it recommended a few times. And Hell to the yeah! <laughs> um, once I got through the first like season and a half, it started getting better and then just really good. Um, I'm still not that big on the beginning of it. I don't think it began all that well, but once it got going, it was really good, and I really enjoyed it a lot. I actually blew through the whole thing and caught up on the new season, too, and now I have to join everybody that's ticked off about its hiatus. Um, so that's I highly recommend that if you want a, a decent uh, sitcom with a good ensemble um, I was looking for a replacement for 30 Rock after I finished that basically and once Parks and Rec hit its groove it was a good uh, good replacement for that for me for new watching um, Arrow is on Netflix the first season uh, I think I've recommended this on the podcast before um, so surprisingly good I expected that show to suck like the uh the original summaries of the show and all the information about it were sounded awful, but the show is very good. It just gets better and better. I've been watching season two, and it is knocking it out of the park. Like, every week is great. Um, it's probably one of my two favorite shows on TV right now. So first season of that's on Netflix, catch up. Uh, two older ones that have popped up on Netflix just now, uh, Chuck, which I guarantee I've recommended on the podcast before just in general, but Chuck is finally on Netflix for the first time. Excellent show. Probably one of my top five of all time. Um, very fun sort of geek spy show. Geek gets uh, swept up into the spy world. Um, just definitely something worth a shot for you. And Leverage is another one that is over. It was a TNT show. It just has popped up on Netflix for the first time. Um, that one's... That one's um, it's not, I think, as good for the Netflix binge-watching thing because it was more of an episodic. But if you're looking for something that you don't necessarily have to binge in a day, like you want an episode to watch here and there, um, it's, it's a very fun show. It was sort of a either a con or a heist a week, pretty much, instead of, yeah. you know, your procedural type thing. And I missed the last two seasons when I was in California without cable, so I'm catching up on the end of it now, and I'm, I'm enjoying it still. It has a Star Trek connection with Jerry Ryan in this season, too, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, and also yeah. Jonathan Frakes directs a lot of episodes. <clears throat> right, right. So, um, 
John Frick yeah. does a lot of directing these days. He directs a lot of Castle, too. And usually you He's can supposed tell... to direct a S.H.I.E.L.D. episode, too, I hear. Yeah, and usually you can tell when Jonathan Frakes has directed an episode of TV because it tends to be just better than most other episodes of that series. Yeah. He's a very good director, and he's directing, yeah. I think, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode that is a Thor The Dark World crossover, not this week, but the next one. So that should yeah. be good. Um, I, I swear I saw a director from Star Trek on S.H.I.E.L.D. previously before Frakes, too. Yeah, I think... Uh... Was it was Blana it uh, Tom Paris? Oh, Blonde Torres, yeah. Did, yeah, Tom Paris yeah. and Voyager does a lot of directing, too. He was actually yeah. an executive producer on Chuck. Right, right. Um, yeah, so a lot of those old uh, Star Trek guys do some directing. LeVar Burton does a good amount of directing, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, um, so that's my four shows I'm going to recommend. Also, a uh, movie. I'm not sure you know when this is going to come out, if it'll still be out in theaters. But if you can catch Gravity in 3 I am not a big proponent of 3D. I don't usually enjoy things in 3D. I went to see Thor yesterday, and I went to the 2D, because it's just... 3D's not my thing. I think, for the most part, what bugs me is it's not a perfected technology. Um, When you're watching a 3D movie, you get a lot of... uh, The the picture looks anything but HD to me, let's put it that way. Um, I agree. I think that's a universal experience. Gravity, on the other hand... Not only was it a very intense movie, like my heart has not pounded in a movie like that for I can't even remember the last time, um, but the 3D was actually used better than I've ever seen it in anything. Um, you had, you know, it was in friggin' space, so there was a lot of depth when you have somebody in space, other equipment in space, things flying around, and then the Earth in the background. There's all kinds of depth to this 3D. Um, it's also used really well in sequences of things flying around and all this debris going around her. Um, which I, and I thought, I did not see that usual uh, 3D problem where it looks kind of fuzzy, uh, artifacts and whatnot. And that may just be because it was in space. There was a lot of black on the screen. And, you know, if that was the case, it was done well. So I would absolutely recommend going to see this movie in 3D if you have a chance. Again, if it's still in theaters by the time you're hearing this. Cool. Very good. All right, uh, JR, recommendations or discrimination? Or what, what is it? Recommendations or warnings? What was that, Whitey? Skinhead. <laughs> what was that, Whitey? That's pretty good. <laughs> what do you got, JR? Uh, well, I'm always, uh, you know, I'm always a very cutting edge person. So uh, I discover things, you know, as they're on the, the cusp of their uh, initial popularity. <laughs> But uh, I uh, just happened to be in, in Target or whatever, and uh, I, p- I picked up the uh, soundtrack for Wicked, uh, which is celebrating its 10th anniversary on Broadway. And I just absolutely love it. And I just really, I mean, I enjoyed the play, but this is the soundtrack is with the original cast, uh, Kristen Chenoweth and Adina Menzel. And, uh, and I, I, I just love, I, like I've always said, I love a woman with pipes. And uh, if I wasn't so deliriously happily married, uh, or if uh, Tay Diggs couldn't kick my ass with his little finger, uh, <laughs> I, I, I would be seriously in love with Adina Menzel. Uh, but it's yeah. just a lot of, a lot of good music. What is that? Oh, he has to play something. That's one of them. <laughs> My yeah. God, is is this the chick that's um, in uh, on private practice, or am I thinking somebody else? 
No, um, which one? I mean, no, Anita Bell actually has got a semi-recurring role on uh, Glee as one of the as Leah Michelle's father. Leah Michelle's father. Private practice. You watch Glee? <laughs> yeah. What's that? Uh, you watch Glee? No, my uh, my daughter does. Yep. I ap- apologize for your daughter. <laughs> Any other recommendations, Jr. Uh, avoid uh, avoid uh, Jerry Conway's ham-fisted uh, political tomes. <laughs> True. Uh, I got uh, three movies, a TV show, and two comics. I saw the movie Flight with Denzel Washington. Uh, if you, I, I love Denzel movies generally, and I I think he uh, did a great. The job acting in this one as a drunk and a, and a character it's so hard to like or even watch sometimes. I honestly didn't think that he was – that was a hard role for him to play. Not that he's a drunk, but like – Really? That felt like, you know, put Denzel Washington in a movie and that's what you're going to get. It felt very phoned in for me personally. Yeah. Well, I, I liked it. I, I love Denzel movies in general, and I, I thought he did a great job with that one. Uh, two, really, if you love 80s action movies – I finally got around to watching Expendables 1 and Expendables 2 with Sly Stallone. And I love, uh, oh, what's his name? Dolph Lundgren's character in these. I just, that's hysterical. Uh, So I liked Expendables 1 and 2, mainly because I love 80s action movies with uh, Schwarzenegger and Bruce Willis, etc. I finished uh, season 2 of The Newsroom. I enjoyed that quite a bit. Uh, I thought it was an improvement over season 1, and I liked season uh, a lot. So, I like the newsroom season two. Did you not care for it, Kevin? I I was let down by most of it. I thought they really recovered in the last couple episodes very well, but I thought most of the ongoing plots for the second season just really weren't appealing and lasted too long. I I, I binge watched it too. I watched like eight episodes. Maybe that improved it. It, it, it may be because I was watching that episodic, but it's a great show. Uh, I just yeah, I just wasn't good. as impressed with season two as I was with season one. It, it was on my D- DVR for a long time, and I just plowed through them uh, in a couple days. Uh, two comics I wish more people would read because they're very, very good. When you see the numbers each month, you're like, why aren't these selling more? Maybe because they're, uh, they're lost in the shuffle. But the ongoing Wolverine title is very good by Mr. Cornell and Mr. Alan Davis. And there's been talk of uh, there's a big Wolverine event coming out, and it's happening in this book. So uh, I recommend you go back and reading. I think Kevin is the only one that reads that book that uh, concurs. It's a very good book. Yeah, I read it, although I, I keep, it seems like they keep moving forward. You know, like I, I thought Killable was the big event, but now they're talking about, oh, it's, it's, it's still coming. Like, okay, which yeah. one's the, the, the freaking event? Exactly. But, but well told, and I think Wolverine hasn't had a good solo book in years. Uh, just I, I'm enjoying it a lot. Also, Thor the movie is out. Jason Aaron is killing it month in and month mm-hmm. out on Thor. Preach. I think I think uh, Thor. I think it's better than uh, who's the guy that you love so much, Kevin. That I I also like uh, JMS. No, well I think it's better than JMS's Taren run. Taren, yes, him. He had a great journey in the mystery run, but I think it's topping that. Well, I, I think they're I very just, different. Um, I, I I agree, but, but Thor as much as I is love. I would I would compare it more directly to JMS as Thor because it was Thor, whereas yeah. the Gillen thing you're talking about was Loki. Loki, um, yeah. But I loved what what JMS wrote just for pure writing. But Jason Aaron, I think, is the best writer of the character Thor. Period. I agree. I would agree. Um, that's my recommendations. Final thoughts around the horn, Jr. Uh, uh, after five hours, no, not a one. Kevin. What? Don. 
one more thing I forgot to mention uh, After Dark by Furuki Murakami who is one of my favorite authors very trippy surreal book uh, kind of short and, and uh, I like some of his other works but that was a very fun book to read uh, check out some of Furuki Murakami's uh, novels final thoughts uh, damn it I didn't win <laughs> oh yeah I've got that one on. I really wanted to win this year but maybe I, I wanted to win Spider Jeopardy too yeah. I'm still alive next year uh, I'll, I'll try to win uh, thank you for listening uh, uh, go off and be merry enjoy your lives Keep on reading Spider-Man. Chris, final thoughts? Oh, I loved uh, Spider Jeopardy. I, I didn't win. I didn't come close to winning, but it was fun. We had uh, some pretty eventful current issues to review. Um, a great debate on uh, the merits of various Halloween costumes. And, um, <laughs> oh man, we were on a journey. We had Skinhead and Hillbillies I, and Fansco and, and Pinky. Lonesome Pinky and um, protests on campus. Um, <laughs> it's just, I think this was an epic uh, a, a recording session. I, I agree. I, th- I think it was a very good, this is going to be an epic four or five episodes we're going to put out this month. So, very good. Uh, Josh, final thoughts? Uh, this was, like I said earlier, one of the funnest episodes of Crawl Space that uh, I feel we've had in a while. Yeah.